What was it like going from your small town in the Caucasus to Moscow, like a huge sprawling city? Was that crazy? I loved it. The minute I landed into the big city, uh, I, I still remember that I, 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 I went there by a bus. It's like 20 hours something bus. I have uh, a bag, not a suitcase. And I, I get out of this bag. I look at this big city and like, I love it. Finally, there's <laughs> some things to do here. It's going to be fun. Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing. This is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome to the conversation. If you've been following the NFT marketplace for any time, you know that there's been ups and downs. And more recently, there's been some controversy with certain platforms that have been toying around with the uh, idea of what creators of NFTs get in terms of royalties. This was one of the coolest things about NFTs when they came out, in my opinion, was for the first time an artist, say a photographer or a digital artist like Beeple, could earn royalties on their NFTs as they sold throughout their lifetime, as opposed to traditional artists who, you know, can sell an early painting for maybe a couple hundred dollars and that painting could go on to be worth millions, but the artist doesn't get a cut of any of those secondary sales. So NFTs, because they're based on smart contracts, had this option to uh, make sure that the artist uh, creator got a certain percentage, maybe five or 10% of all secondary sales. Um, I always thought that was one of the, the greatest innovations um, in NFTs and really kind of put the balance back in favor of the artist here uh, rather than collectors or, you know, maybe art speculators. Not that speculation is bad, but I just never thought it was quite fair that an artist didn't get to, to reap some of the rewards when their works went on to be very valuable. Today, we have on the show Alex Salnikov. He's the co-founder and chief creative officer at Rarible, which is one of the bigger NFT platforms. And we talk about NFTs and we talk about his past and everything. And he illuminated for me something that I didn't know, which was that there is a conflict between the smart contracts that are used to operate on the one hand, the NFT that the artist creates. And then on the other hand, the uh, smart contracts that run a platform like Rarible or OpenSea, those are not the same. And so I'm going to leave it to Alex to explain it much better than I just did. But I thought that was a very interesting um, point and something that I learned about in this conversation. We talk a lot about NFTs and how he uh, got into crypto. I hope you guys enjoy the show and thanks for uh, all the support. Uh, hey, Alex. So where am I talking to you today from? Hey, Matt. Uh, I'm in our office in Williamsburg, New York. Yeah. Uh, that's really funny because we just had a story come out today uh, about Williamsburg being like the central uh, spot for crypto in New York City. Um, so it's great to talk to somebody from uh, right uh, at, at the epicenter. I can, I can definitely confirm our place here. Um, it's, it's, it's called the Brass Factory. It's like a community of Web3 startups. Uh, we're all here together. There's, there's multiple. Yeah. We, uh, had a joke in the story that the WeWork there in Williamsburg is like dead center to everything, uh, in crypto in New York city. <laughs> um, a lot of rumors. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, before we get into Rarible and, and NFT world, um, I'd love to just, you know, talk to you about your past and, and your background and, and where you came from. Um, 
So where were you born? I was born in a very small town in Russia, in the in the thousand part uh, where the Caucasian mountains are. Maybe maybe you heard about Sochi. So that's like a hundred kilometers okay. uh, from from that. Right, that's where the Winter Olympics were a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it became much yeah. better after yeah. the Winter Olympics. Yeah, cool. Um, and uh, did, did you have brothers and sisters growing up? I did. I did. That's a fairly large family. I have um, two brothers and, and, and one sister, so four people. Okay. And did they go into tech as well, like you did? Uh, my my older brother is in tech yes uh he's a front-end engineer and my my younger brother and sister they're they're still in their school but my, my brother okay. he's like aware about crypto he trades crypto uh yeah so does he give you uh like late night texts about what i what should i do should i buy solana or should i sell solana that kind of thing yeah, yeah. He he recently asked me yeah. about if I heard about Mastodon, and what they think about it. <laughs> so your your younger brother and sister are still in school. Are they a lot younger than you are? My my younger sister, she's twenty years difference with me. So that that's a lot oh, of wow. difference. Oh yeah, was there a little mistake there on your parents' part? <laughs> that was very deliberate when we went to oh, the was college. It? Okay. And they, yeah, they said, yeah. "Well, um, we're 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 bored. Let, let's have more." Those are cool. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh, I could do, think of other things to do if I was bored than than have another baby. <laughs> Speaking of your parents, what did they do while you were growing up? Uh, my mother, she's like medical practitioner, and my father is doing construction, so not much tech related uh -huh. stuff. But I think okay. my background is heavily influenced my grand parents my 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 grandmother and my grandfather uh my grandmother was the elementary school teacher i i studied at her class actually and and my grandfather oh, really? he is the mathematics teacher uh and we were doing like olympics uh like olympic style unusual math uh tasks when i was young i think that that did help me a lot Oh, cool. And I got to ask if your grandmother was your kindergarten teacher, was she easy on you or like extra hard on you? Because I think it's going to be extra one or the other, right? Extra hard. Extra yeah, hard kinda, yeah. I had an idea that that's where that would go. Um, and then with your grandfather, did you um, kind of have a natural proclivity to math? Was it something that came easy to you or, or how did that work? It's, it's actually unclear. Uh, I remember that I was even a little forced to do that. But when I ask uh, my, my parents, my grandparents, they say, oh, you were so curious. Like you liked uh -huh. that, it, it was easy for you, 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 you was into that. So you know, they, nobody knows the truth now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, my older son will do math problems for fun. Like he'll look up hard, um, you know, things that aren't, solvable yet or so, whatever and he'll just kind of chew on them and it's really interesting because i'm certain i was certainly never that way but um he really likes it so what was the name of the town you grew up in and like what you said it was a very small place what was that like was it was it like rural and nice and you know kind of calm and peaceful and everything like that or what, what was the surroundings like it's rural 
like maybe there was below five buildings uh, higher than two stories. Uh, oh, wow. Very, very flat, uh, rural. Most of the people there are into agriculture because there's like a good soil. You can literally like feed yourself out of your backyard and you can sell that. Mm. So that's what most of the people done. For me, rather than nice and nature, it was like completely boring and and and, and that that that's how I felt it growing <laughs> up. Like that. that's what I was going to ask. You either probably loved it or you thought it was completely boring, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely the second. Yeah. Okay. So, did you like school? Were you were you good in school? Like, what what was that like for you? I think I liked school. Uh, I was definitely good at it. Uh, I finished with like a golden medal, you say, so more or less, uh, excellent marks for all the, um, all the different subjects. I loved it. I loved, uh, precise subjects mostly, but I was good in literature and languages too. Uh, yeah, probably it's all, it's all heavily influenced by that's the most interesting things to do to, to, to keep your brain busy when there's nothing to do, study. Right. right. So did you, uh, did you gravitate to computers? Um, so in, you were born in 94, so they would have been, you, you know, uh, was that something that was like in your life in that point? Or did you have to go to school like to kind of get exposed to like computer science and things like that? Uh, I've got my computer at fifth grade uh, in school. So right after the elementary, okay, and okay. that was maybe the second person in the class that got a PC. That was fairly early. Uh, big thanks to my parents. They thought that this is the future and that we absolutely have to have it. And mm. it, it wasn't even something heavily affordable at us. We, my parents had to take a loan to get a computer, but that was probably the best decision uh, for, for our future. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and they got it in like to give to you or because they thought it was just the future and they needed to have it in general? Or did they see something in you that, that they wanted to encourage? For sure, that was me and my older brother. Uh, he is just one half year older than me. So we were always were on par and everything. And they thought they're, they're not into computers. They thought that we should have it as, as people that, that grow up. Um, like a year after we got connected to the internet and that was, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about like computers and the internet that, that really appealed to you? It's a good question. I think just just all, all the same ideas about being bored of having almost zero inputs and now there was like massive amounts of inputs new information the internet connection was very slow i still remember you know this like it's a dial-up modem which yeah, makes this yeah, weird yeah. sounds when, when when it's connecting yeah 56 yeah. kilobytes let's, let's do that for this person it was like something like that. something like that it uh if you've heard you it, did it, it nailed it yeah <laughs> thank you yeah i remember those days well um so yeah that must have been really fun and and it opened up a whole new world for you right because you could sort of that time i remember you could sort of be anonymous you know you could go into chat groups or you know you could talk 
um, with people from anywhere around the world and they wouldn't know that you were a young kid in Russia, right? Absolutely. I think more for, for the beginning, most of the part I was playing games, of course, mm -hmm. but yeah. that makes you, that makes you like agile. Uh, it, it develops your, your skills of being like snap and making decisions. Um, it develops your skills of using keyboard, mouse. And then I dive this wormhole of, of even Wikipedia. Oh, here's an article about something in the world. Oh, okay, here's a reference. Let's read the reference. So I could, I could spend a lot of time just like jumping around references and, and looking, reading text, all that things. And at some point we started to, you know, uh, there was a concept of you need to crack the game to play it because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't licensed and licensed and distributed. So you needed to like add some and some files to, to, to the game. Um, okay. And then that cracked the windows and I needed to reinstall that. So you were breaking stuff, but then fixing it. And like, that was that sort of your entree into coding and, and getting kind of into the weeds of, of the computer world? Mm -hmm. not, not into coding, probably more like into the like no code stuff, because I always felt like, oh, coding is too hard. I would never be able to do that. Uh, although like I, I learned how to do that later in the university, but I felt like I, I can combine different like scripts together, um, like adding, adding a, a, a JS script to HTML file was, was my, my, my top. Okay, cool. Um, and, and so at this point, are you, do you think computers or something in that field is kind of where you're heading and, and are you like kind of did it or when did it dawn on you that you wanted to kind of like, you know, be in computer science or, or make that your career? I can say that that's probably was never a choice because, um, my, my father has two brothers and they grew up and they went to Moscow State University, which is a, the, the math and physics, uh, faculty and their wives went to the math and physics departments and their kids were there. So that's, that's the family thing. I was, I was, I felt like this is the nice track that you do. You grew up in a, mm. in a village, you study well, you go to Moscow to study in the big university, and then you have a job that, that is, I don't know, pays you 10 X of what you can get in the, in the village. So, yeah. Well, that's curious. Let me ask you, did your dad just not want to do that? Cause you said he was in construction. So did he, was he sort of like, you know, said, nah, that's not for me. That's exactly what happened. He yeah. used that track as well. He went to Moscow, uh, after school and he taken a look at that and he said, well, I don't like that. It's too noisy. It's too busy. I want to get back to the nature. I want to take care of the family. I want to take care of my grand of, of his parents, my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. he was more or less like this. That's actually a tradition in, um, uh, there's like Caucasus families, uh, where the younger brother is always, uh, like has to take care of, of the parents that his job. Okay. And your dad's the younger. Yeah, my dad's the younger. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Got it. So for you, that 
you were, uh, it sounds like you were kind of waiting to get out there and see the world a little bit more. Exactly. And, and I, I was pushed to, my, my parents always told me like, guy, yeah, here's nothing here. Just go out, uh, encourage you, like study well, we won't be able to pay for your education. So study on your own and just like get as far out of here as possible. Yeah. So uh, tell us, how did, how did you do that? Did you go to Moscow or wh what was the, what was the path from the rural Caucasus out to the, the wider world? I, I need to give credit to the education system in Russia. It is completely free. 70% of people get world-class education for free. Um, you, at the end of the school, you take the unified exam everywhere across the whole country. Um, it's something like this, uh, uh, what's GMAT or here? Uh, yeah. But it, it's not it's not direct alternative, but like every it's mandatory for every person after school take exam, and then all universities have the same uh, agenda. They all accept people ranking ranked by this exam. And I was I, I didn't expect that. I thought that my my future will be will be less bright, but I've got uh, quite good of of the marks. I've got the maximum 100 out of 100 uh, on physics. Uh, and like only 40 people in that year in the whole country got this 100 out of 100. Wow, that's impressive. Fairly rare. Yeah. And uh, my, my parents were reckless enough to uh, give birth to me uh, while the um, situation in the country was, was not great. And that's what there was like a demographic uh, cave and I had much less of a competition of getting to the universities than even five years oh, later. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So this would have been right around when Yeltsin was president after um, after uh, everything, right, with with Gorbachev. And then, is that, am I in the right time frame here? Or yeah, no, that's I'm way... three years after collapse. When you were, yeah, when you were born, right? 91 yeah. was, and then, okay, right. Um, yeah, so so the demographics were in your favor. That's pretty cool. Um, you, you say that you, uh, you didn't expect it, and, and it, it sounds like your, your other comments you've made, you're rather um, kind of self-deprecating. Do you, do you uh, where does that come from? Do you, you, you've done really well for yourself, but you seem very humble, uh, which I appreciate. I like humble people, but I'm just curious. Is, was it your older brother always like being like bearing down on you or something or, or what, uh, where do you think that comes from? For some reason, I, I was aware that where I grew up in, in that small village, that I was like, uh, good in terms of like marks, exams, all that. But I always imagined the other world to be that bright place where uh, everyone is smart so yeah of course here is like i can i can do better than others but i felt like once i go to the big world that that won't be ever the case um mm. and that i need to like keep up keep up with myself to to be uh, to be competitive uh, i felt like my parents were more or less struggling uh in in general in that environment and i thought that you know this is how how life looks like you 
you have to grind your way through. Everything is difficult. You you have to be really good at at everything to to be able to um, to succeed. Um, you have to study hard. You do, you have to do everything in a hard way to to get somewhere. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so I'm curious. Once you made your way out into the wider world, how did you feel like you stacked up against competition? Uh, first couple of weeks in university, I I thought that's like a disaster. Uh, I don't understand <laughs> anything. There's there's a advanced math and that I wasn't prepared for and some of the other people they went to the school with more like advanced math that was preparing them for university I was like oh shit uh, that's that's not great mm, but a couple of weeks into it uh, I've got a little better and my my older brother helped me he, he went to the same university a couple of years before he helped me too and then I remember uh, the first exam session uh, in a half a year, first semester, I realized that a third of the people got like um, uh, dispelled, got uh, expelled from, from university oh, really? uh, because, yeah, wow. because so they, they didn't they meet failed. it. Yep. They were hard on us. Oh, yeah. They failed their exams and got kicked out. Yeah. They got kicked out and I was, all right, it feels like I'm doing even better than them. That's that's surprising too. Yeah. Okay, I I can do it. So now you're in Moscow, right? Yeah. At this point, I'm in Moscow. What was it like going from your small town in the Caucasus to Moscow, like a huge sprawling city? Was that crazy? I loved it. The minute I landed into the big city, uh, I I still remember that I I I I went there by a bus. It's like twenty hours something bus. Uh, that is special. People go to to the big market to Moscow to buy things to sell them uh, on the retail, and so you can actually like sleep and lay in that bus. It's not it's not a sitting bus. It's a sleeping bus. Yeah, I I have uh, a bag, not a suitcase, and I I get out of this bag. I look at this big city and like, I love it. Finally, there is <laughs> some things to do here. It's gonna be fun. Okay, so. You were like a 2010-ish. Have you come across Bitcoin at all yet? Or when did you first cross paths with like crypto? My first path across crypto was my second year university. Um, or even the first one, actually the first one. Uh, a second year I started to already like working in crypto. It was, it was the first mm -hmm. project. But first year, uh, I would I I had some some creativity to come off from me. I did a small viral project. Have you seen the social movie, uh, social network movie? Yeah. One of his first project was like face mash, uh, uh -huh. like some girls competition when you need to click left or right. Yeah. Um, I found out online the script for for the same uh for the same website i uh scanned through our university catalog and filled that up with like five thousand pictures and that that blew <laughs> up went really viral okay that's how i met my my partner yeah. my first business partner oh really yeah i remember 
here in the states there was one called hot or not and you would swipe you know left or right to judge whatever person you were looking at if you thought they were attractive or not and then they'd have like a score so it's kind of like that right yeah exact same yeah. exact same script somebody created yeah. that after a movie okay cool um and did that and then so what's the connection there to crypto yeah um that went viral uh across our university and my, my, my business partner, with whom we spent multiple years doing startups after, he reached out to me and said, like, oh, you seem like you're a witty guy. Uh, let's maybe do something together. And he introduced me to crypto. Uh, I started to read up about it. And we decided that we will make an exchange because there are some other guys that made an exchange and earned like a million dollar. And that's a holy grail of... of uh, of uh, young people dreaming about big stuff yeah. like oh we're going to do the Absolutely. same and we're going to earn a million dollar <laughs> very smart too to want to make an exchange because the exchange always makes money right it doesn't matter really uh if, if prices are going up or down necessarily uh, the, the exchange is always going to take a little cut there of every trade um so i'm guessing it didn't work out with the exchange uh, it, it didn't. Well, for some, for some part, it did, but not. We, we didn't earn a million dollar. Yeah, we we, we <laughs> learned how to how to do projects more or less. Uh, I was I was coding it myself, the backend part of that, and we were doing it locally in Russia, and it was supposed to facilitate just exchanges, flat rate, not something order book based or something, uh, and. At some point, the central bank issued a decree that, well, it's not really cool to work with crypto, and we recommend you to abstain from that. And not, not to us, but to the payment system that we worked with to facilitate these transactions. And, yeah. and that more or less killed the project. Mm. In the same time, it pushed us to go global because it was clear that, oh, and the, the regulation here is, is an obstacle. I'm curious on your perspective as a Russian, like what what is it in the Russian government's view that they that they don't like crypto? Because I think they've kind of come and gone, like they've had somewhat conflicting um, opinions on this uh, over the years. But what do you think it was initially that they didn't like about it? Um, I think in general, there is a lot of capital controls because the economy, the Soviet economy, and after that Russian economy inherited that idea that the open flow of capital is not a good thing because if you allow that, then the capital will just like flow out of the country. Mm -hmm. right. And because of that, and, and a very open nature of crypto was was kind of alarming that, oh, if if you took a bribe and then you want to get that capital out of the country, that's that's very easy to, to do with, with crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a threat basically right to their system um okay so so you said that this sort of opened up your eyes to wanting to be global um is that something that um now are you thinking okay well it's time to leave moscow and go somewhere else or what's what's the thinking like there at this point mm, the thinking is more like not that i need to live per se but i would just target the projects to, to be global. It doesn't matter where okay. I am. 
more or less, but I can tar I can do them in English. I can target the global audience, and I I I basically wanna wanna work uh, like outside. Um, to to the outer so you world. Just wanna, it's not like it's not like you want to go to London or New York City. It's more that you just want to expand the the horizon of of who you're reaching with the projects you're you're working on. Yeah, it, it felt like internet finally enabled us. We don't really care where we live. We can we can mm -hmm. be global uh, from from any place, and that was the dream. Mm, so you you only need to do the like digital like, like you need to have a legal entity outside uh, in in somewhere in the global world, and then uh, resource wise, uh, Russia is great. There is a lot of engineers. There is a lot of designers. Great technical school. Great uh, visual school. Uh, best uh, best in in the world, I would say. And then from the exchange that didn't work out, then uh, we're getting close to maybe when Ethereum was coming out, and did that change your view of like? blockchain and what what could be possible i mean obviously we'll get to rarible and nfts which wouldn't be possible without something like like ethereum or smart contracts but was that sort of the next step in the evolution for you the next step was like a centralized exchange so the first one was like flat rate like oh it's, it's like cashier like an on-ramp rather than exchange even uh okay. so the next one was an exchange you still actual global make million exchange. dollars right <laughs> yeah yeah you were still yeah yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> obviously all right obviously. sorry to interrupt but go ahead <laughs> i thought okay uh let's do the order book based exchange and the problem of all existing exchanges is that they're slow so let's make a fast exchange i think many people in crypto thought that uh, that's that's the actual issue everything is slow that was a lot of ethereum killers uh, that thought that the only problem is scalability. So we've built up amazing matching engines supporting short sales and leverage a million trades per second in memory execution and like zero liquidity. <laughs> yeah, the most important part. <laughs> the most important yeah. part. How does the centralized exchange work? Do you, do you guys, did you make, uh, did, did it work out this time? Nope. No, that didn't work out. That was that was 2014, uh, 15 times. Um, okay. Still mostly learning. Oh, you need to hire some people. Uh, you need to to make the design. You need to do the product. You need to combine all that hundred features into something that can look okay. Um, you need to do regulatory work. You need to open a bank account. You need to open a company. You need to to compliance, it's hard. So uh, all that foundational stuff was was really helpful. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I started my own media company uh, a couple of years, like a year and a half ago, and just going through all that stuff, uh, it's it's daunting, and I had no idea how uh, time consuming it can be. Let's jump forward to like, how did. Um, how did you get like what do you remember your first experience with nfts or when you first learned about you know something digitally that that or a digital item that could be scarce i guess there we went to ethereum and i i i clearly remember at some point this whole new concept of smart contracts was mm -hmm. very unclear to me how can the program can be executed in the cloud 
I, I didn't understand what are the limitations, what can be executed, what cannot be. I mostly knew crypto. And I remember I was going around, I was asking people like, oh, what, what should I read? Which book? Can you recommend me something on smart contracts? And nobody was able to tell me something. Somebody said, oh, just hire me instead. Like, I know all about that. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, smart. I, just said, I mean, there weren't really okay, any books just, back then, were there? I mean, you could like read the Ethereum white paper, um, but yeah, there was not a lot out there. That's that's exactly what I did. I, re I read the Ethereum white paper and that was super clear. Vitalik did great job on writing that down with, with his friends. I was like, okay, that was that was like on the surface. Uh, I think the main jump was that, oh, if the program is deterministic, if anybody executes it and gets the same result, then we could we can put that on the blockchain. So that was that was a click. I understood. Okay, now the smart contracts, tokens, all that will ride the wave of twenty seventeen on the. Uh, helping other companies to launch their like ICOs, uh, that was that was rewarding. Uh, we didn't want to launch ours because it's like it's a big commitment, uh, and it it didn't feel I didn't feel ready back then. Mm -hmm. And and then after twenty seventeen, there was so much noise. I I barely kept tracking the the media because it, it, there was a lot of false false narratives, a lot of noise a lot of things that are not true that aren't working and then 2018 crypto winter everything's quiet and like like now but now it's much more noisy but quiet very quiet and i found out about about gfi about in 2017 you needed to download mist and wait for the network to synchronize like 200 gigabytes of data and then to add smart contract inside your uh your your wallet uh, passed the ABI and then called the function to participate in the crowd sale. And that was hard. And, and, and just a year or a couple of years later, I'm seeing MetaMask. You can connect your to, to a website. You can, you can use on-ramp wire to, to buy some, some, some stuff. And you can, you can take a loan as collateral. So all, all this vibrant ecosystem and every wallet has a collectible step that is empty, there's no collectibles. And then, then CryptoKitties, of course, when everyone was able to interact with digital items. And then there was a bunch of CryptoKitties clones, like exactly the same. Um, yeah. But the CryptoKitties explained the concept real well. It's, 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 the cat has a DNA. It's almost a living creature <laughs> on the blockchain. Right. It's funny how, how far back we went from that vision to an actual like, oh, it's just a blonde picture yeah i mean people make fun of like it's just a picture of an ape right but it, it all started with a picture of a cat but you could <laughs> i remember people making fun of crypto kitties a lot and they just thought it was like some joke but it was cool that, it, that this was actually you know here's a digital item that is actually collectible and scarce for the first time and that's because of the blockchain which i don't think a lot of people understood you, you can breed them. They, they have DNA. When you breed them, they exchange DNAs. Yeah. It's like Tamagotchi. That, so, okay, that, that all opened your eyes and you understood now that smart contracts were deterministic and, and the call function and all of that uh, is, is key. Um, when, did, when did you get involved with Rarible? Like, was this, were there a couple steps in the, in the process here? Or are you getting close to joining them? Um, how did that all work? 
Yes, 2018. That was a crypto winter. We're getting closer because variable started 2019. Uh, okay. That also was my sabbatical year when when I was doing not much, keeping my, my body healthy. Uh, I decided that I'll deplete myself from dopamine. Like, no, no movies. Uh, I stopped smoking. Uh, I, I was a heavy tobacco smoker. I was playing a lot of computer games. I decided to drop all that and be like the sports. Uh, the hardest, the, the easiest way to get content for me allowed from a loud list was, was reading a book or, or reading something in regards to work because I felt like I'm lazy. You know, like I, I, all my life, I felt that I'm a lazy person. Um, <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push myself. I'm, I'm going to train my will. I'm going to like for forbid myself to do any easy thing to get a gratification and and that paid out so well got so bored i i finished i finished the masters i got my driver's license i got the uh us visa and and i went to us just because i had nothing to do i was researching all that space uh about mm. about crypto and i was shooting everything interested that that i found to to my network like people who are into into crypto too um some some guys from zerion uh and and alexi who is now the uh, like we started the variable together uh he was receptive to that so when more or less i was i was sending articles and they and they were tanking at everybody and he was answering me something oh that's interesting oh that's that's mm -hmm. something uh, uh there was some discussion about it and at some point he organized a group of people uh, he, like that was a saturday and he said he called me and he said oh, come over we are here at the cafe just like thinking about brainstorming what what can we do and i came over and and exactly in that cafe the variable was born we thought well what 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 can we do some somebody yeah. talked about nfts yeah and that's how it all started well it's interesting i'm i'm now just putting together what you were trying to do previously with you know the exchanges that you tried to start um and here you go here you are rareable is basically an exchange right if it's a marketplace it's and and so i guess i would say third time is the charm for you it, it wasn't even the third. I, there was multiple of uh, different dead stuff in the process. Uh, I, at once I calculated that there was 10 projects that died at different stages, but usually you have a branding, you have a deck, you have a logo, you have an idea, you start to work on it, and maybe like maybe don't raise funding or something. They all died at different stages. So that's more or less like yeah. the 10th. So what... um. What do you think is going on now in the NFT world? Obviously, we've talked about the crypto winter. Prices have come down a lot. Interest is sort of waning. Uh, and then I'd love to hear your views on what's going on with some platforms that are... Uh, the thing I thought that was really great for artists in, in the NFT world was that the royalties were kind of baked in to the code, right? And you would have royalties on an initial sale, but then you'd also have royalties on secondary sales, which artists in the real world, you know, never get. Once you sell your painting and it gets sold on, that's, you know, you don't get any cut. So I, I thought, I always thought that was a fascinating part of the NFT world, but some platforms out there now, like OpenSea flirted with 
changing the way that it's uh, it pays artists um, royalties. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and what what you guys think it rareable about that. I feel like this all this royalties is a big unfortunate coincidence. The fact that royalties could not be enforced on chain, just the way the network works, the smart contract of NFT and smart contract of marketplace, it's two different smart contracts, and smart contract of NFT, which regulates the actual transfer, uh, doesn't even know that, oh, that was, a, that was a sale. It's just a transfer for it. You, you, you can transfer it from, from, a, from your wallet to another your wallet. And obviously you don't want to pay royalties when you transfer that from one wallet to another. And yeah. when you're making a sale, it's really hard to tell, oh, well, was that a sale or that was just a transfer? So more or less, it's the choice of the marketplace to pay the royalties or not to pay royalties. And there was some marketplace that, that didn't pay royalties. And that surprisingly got, not because they didn't want to, but just because they didn't implement that feature yet, it's, it's, it's hard. You still you need to prioritize what they're developing. And 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 they they deprioritize that feature to pay royalties and they've got a substantial market share. And and now it's like uh, it's a game theory. Somebody's not paying. Well, how does that work? Because I guess I don't understand it because I thought because it's a smart contract, um, that, that is controlling the NFT that, that you could program in to make sure that, that part of all future sales went to the creator. Is that, am I wrong about that? Or am I miss, missing something there? Yeah, yeah, sli slightly, slightly missing something. So the smart contract, the NFT smart contract is very simple. It basically says the owner wallet 0x123 owns an item number 500. And there is a transfer function that takes where we transfer from to where we transfer to. And I can say, okay, just transfer this num item number 500 to the new owner 0x124, not 123. And um, because of the like, composability, that's basically the only thing that the NFT contract knows and sees. It's composable, it's abstracted away. It, it, it has this internal storage and outside there is only one function transfer. So when you sell an item on Rarible or any other marketplace, this marketplace is given the permission to transfer that on your behalf. And whenever you sell it, it just calls this transfer function and this transfer happens. And the smart contract of NFT doesn't know what was it a sale or was it just a transfer from uh, your wallet to another wallet. So there is no such like enforceability. You can't, you can't create the, the code that oh, only transfer that if there was royalties paid because you don't know that there was a sale, you don't know the price, you don't know how much needed to be paid. The only thing you can do is you can basically say, oh, if there's a transfer from Blur, then just don't don't make that transfer. So you can you can block certain uh, marketplaces from from being able to sell your item, but you can't block them on on the intellectual basis that oh that was a sale with royalties or that was a sale without royalties. Okay, 
Yeah, so that makes sense to me that you wouldn't want to pay royalties on a transfer. But how, just the last thing here, like how, um, if I'm an artist and I have sold my NFTs, like where does that come in? Or how does it come in so that I do get royalties on a secondary sale down the line? Well, my question, I guess, is like, you know, what has to happen for that to happen? It's a social contract. It is basically the feature of marketplaces that pays out royalties. Okay. Uh, the feature of Rarible, you can go to Rarible, you can click, that's my contract. You can click settings, set up royalties, 5%. And every sale would, would send a 5% to you. The same with OpenSea code. You can go there and you can set up royalties there. So you need to go to the marketplace and you need to find out how this specific marketplace treats royalties. Okay. And you can uh, set this up to your wallet. There is a royalty registry. Um, it's like cross marketplace smart contract uh, from Manifold that you can set up your uh, royalties at. And some marketplaces will pick that up. But it's again, a it's a choice of marketplace. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. So the royalty function is a marketplace function. It's not embedded in the NFT itself. Not yet. There is, uh, we, we caught up with some OpenSea people and there are some updates that need to be done into the network itself, Ethereum network. And then you would be able to incorporate that function into the NFT itself. Oh, okay, cool. Is that upgrade coming in any of the stuff they're doing this year? Uh, with, with the, uh, was it a Shanghai or I can't remember what the new version is going to be. Yeah. I might be mistaken. But I think it's the proto-dank sharding that needs to be done. Oh, okay. It, I think it's coming this year. Okay, cool. What's your outlook on the general NFT market in general now? Are you, um, obviously the prices go up and they go down, uh, but are you getting wind of like cool projects or, or maybe more uses for your NFTs? Um, I know utility is something that I've talked to with a few people about NFTs um, because I think, Everyone realizes there's a lot of potential here, but it hasn't really been tapped as much as it, as it could be yet. I think we had 2017 moment in the NFT market yeah, when there sure. was a lot of project that said, oh, we're going to X. And, and there is basically a lot of projects that aren't doing nothing. And not, not even projects, but NFTs that that don't yet have the functionality uh, that that is intended. And crypto art spiked because it is kind of an NFT that doesn't need the functionality. And that was why it's found the product market fit. The second one was PFP because mm -hmm. the only functionality it needs is, oh, put the, it on the avatar and enter a closed Discord with that one, a gated Discord. Right. Mm, and, and we're seeing more and more depth to, to the NFT. There is a project funded by 16Z, which is called Story Protocol, which combines multiple NFTs into narratives. And there is Doodles 2, which would allow you to duplicate your NFT parts and assemble the new avatar with wearables that are taken from the boxes that are in the NFT as well. Mm. So 
and then NFT is a standard. It's a shell. It's it's a it's a way to to take an item and, and send it to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But an actual item is extendable. It it has a depth like a like a like a, like a ship or like an iceberg that 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 has the, the the backwater thing, and and this 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 is growing, and there is more and more potential. Uh, there is potential. You can you can vote with your NFT in the DAO. Uh, we will see for sure some metaverse games where NFTs are wearable. You can use your 3D avatar clonex in a game. Uh, you can use Nike shoes. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's it's the general this like road to the metaverse, which yeah. is the digital alternative to the to the world we are in, but. In the world we are in, there is a lot of physics. The items can interact with each other, and in the metaverse, they cannot yet. So, uh, gl- long-term very, very bullish on 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 that kind of. I have been living in metaverse since my fifth grade. Right? <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> very bullish on that long-term, and we are in this depth. The, this this bear market the, exactly is the last one during which there was all sorts of infrastructure built, all sorts of cool stuff built. There's gonna be a lot of things built this bear market, and we're gonna expand on that next bull. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool because I, I think digital wearables are gonna be huge, and I I hadn't really thought about them as NFTs, but that's basically what they are. But I think NFT is also in this context not the right. So it it brings up a certain idea in my head that isn't quite the same thing that we're talking about uh in the future i think because what like you said if it's a pair of nike shoes that i'm wearing on my avatar in the metaverse then of course i could sell those to somebody else and that's basically just like an nft sale right but it's it's also it's something that is is a part of my avatar and so it's it's yeah so i'm just trying to wrap my head around it and then you sort of mentioned it but do you think um We'll get to a point soon where NFTs are also allowing, uh, you know, they're allowing people entry into like, let's say an amusement park or, you know, it like helps you to gain like, if again, like say Disneyland or something, if they were selling NFTs, do you think we're going to get to a point where they could be something like you've got a fast pass in there so you can go to the shorter line or you can get new content from Disney before other people or you can get a discount on your ticket to entry into Disneyland. Is that is that kind of utility coming in your opinion? M- many Web2 brands are considering NFTs as like marketing loyalty almost program. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, you can, you can do something. Uh, with this NFT that gives you a discount that gives you a, uh, a community membership. Like if you if you would go to like just in general latest marketing things in the traditional world, there will be a lot of talks about community because that's that's what's sticky. Whenever your friends are doing something and you have a real deep community, you 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 are now a loyal customer. Mm, I I am bullish on web. On, on digitally native use cases, it's it's always uh, hard to say, oh, there's cryptocurrency spiked, and now there is Coinbase, and everybody's buying crypto on Coinbase, and then PayPal saying, okay, we want we, we want to use uh, we want to use crypto too, 
and it, it adds the functionality to buy crypto, but people still go to Coinbase. Um, there is this almost, and people who go to Disneyland, they would enjoy Disneyland without NFTs. But there is a new generation, younger generation that spends 90% of their time online. And those would be who will use NFTs to power truly digital, online first, virtual experiences that that are just new it's not it's not that we were going to apply an nft to the previously existing experience to transform it that's at least that's my view yeah yeah that's a good point and and so you're saying don't try to frame it with what we know already because there are things coming that we don't we can't expect and that's what's probably going to be exciting for people yeah all right. Well, Alex, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for, for sharing um, your, your past and your history with us. Why don't you let folks know where they can find you online or, and, and how they can uh, get involved with Rarible? Uh, of course, Rarible.com is the marketplace. You can create items there. You can create your own collections there. You can create your own marketplaces there, the Shopify type. So it's all things uh, creator. Uh, I'm me personally, Insider0x on Twitter and Salnikov.lens on the new Sovereign social media uh, where you're the owner of your content and you cannot be banned and stuff like that. That's the latest thing I'm playing with. All right. I'll have to check that out. And just to end with, um, am I being presumptuous to assume that you've made your million dollars by starting an exchange? Not by exchange, but I think like 20, 2017 bull run uh, just increased my general crypto holdings. Your so bags? I, I was able to achieve my dream. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Way to go. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. And uh, everyone check out Rarible. Um, they're, they're one of the be better. Uh, they've been really good on the um, fight for uh, royalties with, with artists and uh, should definitely check them out. Uh, and again, Alex, thanks so much. It's been a really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I love the deep conversations that we can get into the weeds and just casually chat about things. It's, it's great. Yeah, I love it too. Thanks a lot, man. Well, hey, that's it for another episode of Decent People. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Check us out on the web at decentral.io. We're on Twitter at Decentral Media. Our shows are produced by Matt Solon. The music is courtesy of Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. Thanks so much. Take care.